Good morning, good morning, good morning to all of you and those watching on uh, at our LaGrange campus in online. I hope you made it through the rain and we're under a roof now and it's all good, right? Good. The rain has subdued you. I was a little subdued the first service and um, just kind of a little, I don't know, but it's good because God is good. Um, he's on the throne and he's still on the throne and he's the God of yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Amen. All right. Uh, better. All right. You know, last week um, we were, we're, we're in this series, um, the, the lies that we are told, right? And finding truth in all of the lies. Last week, Caleb did a phenomenal job of, of bringing God's word to life about suffering and about how suffering can get you to the place where God wants you to be. And so we're not going to waste time today. We're just going to jump in because we're, we're going to kind of explore a lie that gets told to a lot of us, the lie that you don't need the church and the church doesn't need you. You see, we've, we've probably all experienced that lie at some point in our life. I experienced it when I was about 20, 21 years old. I grew up in the church. My grandfather was, was a pastor of a large church, and, and he had been a pastor for a long time, and I grew up in his church. You, you know, it's hard to grow up in, in your grandpa's church. Everyone knows you, and you can't get away with anything. But it, this, this story of mine didn't happen until later, and, and it was towards the end of his ministry there, and, and some things had gone on in the church, and, and the church just said, hey, you know what, even though we're growing, even though we're doing okay, you're out. And so after 26 years of ministry, my, my grandpa was pushed out of the church. He did it the right way, he left the right way, because he was Jesus to anyone and everyone, he just lived to Jesus. I, however, did not handle it the right way. I was at the University of Arkansas at the time, and, and if you know anything about me, you know I love water skiing. And, and, and I love being on the lake. And, and my dad would go to church Sunday morning, and he would say, hey, where are you going to church this morning? He'd come in. I mean, what parent comes into their, their college student's room at 8 o'clock and says, where are you going to church? The right ones do, right? I mean, the good ones. I'm just saying, I, I, I apologize if you don't do that. But I'm just saying, right? I mean, my dad just would come in and say, hey, where are you going to church? And I would answer him, very serious, Lakeside Baptist today, Dad. And he goes, all right, good, good, good. Can't wait to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And so I would, yeah, I would wait for them to go to the church. I would hook the boat up. I'd go to Lakeside Baptist. And we would ski, and I mean, you, the best time to ski in barefoots in the morning, so that's what we would do, and then we'd ski for about a couple hours. I knew that my dad would go to church, they would go to Sunday school, and then they would come home. If they didn't stop by the store, it gave me a little extra time. And so I did. I would beat them home. I'd have everything put up, and I'd be in my clothes looking good. Looked a lot different back then. Until one day, I'm out on the lake. He'd asked me that morning, where are you going? Lakeside Baptist. And he said, son, okay, good. Can't wait to talk about it. Well, as I was pulling the boat up to the ramp, there stood my dad 
and said, how's Lakeside Baptist, son? I said, Dad, uh, no, 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 no. I've known for a long time. I was just waiting for you to be honest. I said, Dad, you don't understand. I'm, I'm hurt by the church. I don't really think it's necessary. I can have Jesus out here. I can experience God on the water. And my dad looked at me and some said something very profound that day that huh, I will never forget. It's actually something I, I saw, something similar to this in social media this week. And my dad looked at me and said, you know what, son? If the hurt that the church causes you to not follow God anymore, if, if the hurt that you experienced from the church causes you to not follow God anymore, then you weren't following God, you were following a man. Did you hear what I said? Huh. You weren't following God, you were following a man. And so today, uh, my challenge and, and, and what we'll begin to talk about is, is this church following Jesus and not a man. following the Savior of the world, the, the creator of all things. And so that's what we're going to look at today. It's about this church following Jesus and not a man. And, and so let's take a look. You know, it's this lie, this lie that the church doesn't need you and you don't need the church. This is not true. The church does need you and you do need the church. The church does need you, and you do need the church. This didn't just start happening now. It's not a lie that Satan just started using. He started using it back with the church of the New Testament. You look at Acts. You, you look at the church of Ephesus. You, you start to look at the church of Laodicea, and you, you start looking at all of these churches, and it's just a lie that he would perpetuate, and it just changes over time. It changes with, with whatever your community is. It changes with wherever the world is. It just, he just starts kind of, just kind of weaves it in there. But God, being the God of the universe, this crazy love God, he knows exactly what the church needs and exactly when it needs it. And so that's where we'll find ourselves today. In Revelations 2, 1 through 7. Revelations 2, 1 through 7 is, is the letter to the church of Ephesus. And honestly, Revelations 2 and 3 are the, the letters to the, the, the seven churches. But the cool thing is, is that God not only cares for those seven churches, He cares for this church and the big C church all over the world. And so we get to experience that and look at that. The city of Ephesus, and to understand the letter from the church of Ephesus, those first seven verses, you have to understand some context. You see, Ephesus was a great city. It was a fantastic port city. It was, it was kind of this, this road map to the rest of Asia. It was, it was the open door to Asia had three roads leading out to it that went all over Asia. I mean, people could go anywhere. 
It was known as the light of Asia, the market of Asia, the gateway of Asia. And Ephesus actually sits in what we now know Turkey on that west coast. And, and, and its position made it incredibly wealthy. It also made it incredibly immoral and sinful. The city of Ephesus was known for its prostitutes. It was known for following idols. It was known for debauchery of all kinds. But you also know that the city of Ephesus is where Paul spent most of his ministry. He spent the longest time in the city. He had to. The people there that needed Jesus. We can look at Acts and, and, and we'll know that the church of Ephesus, the, the elders of Ephesus were some of Paul's greatest friends. He loved that city and he loved that church. He did not love what was going on in that city. And that's where we see the church of Ephesus begin to grow and expand because Paul loved Jesus so much that he loved those people enough to share Jesus with them. He spent time there. Later on, we see that John became the leading figure in that church. And John happens to be writing these seven verses. Now, if you look in your Bible, it's going to be a red letter. And here's why. It's because when John's writing it, he's getting visions. He is getting, he's being spoken to by Jesus. The character saying this, and it's the truthful, it's the truthful words of Jesus. And John just happens to be writing them down. And so that's where we'll pick up today. Revelations 2, 1 through 7. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your toil, your patient endurance, and how you cannot bear with those who are evil, but have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not, and found them to be false. I know you are endurancing patiently and bearing up for my name's sake, and you have not grown weary. You have not grown weary. But I have this against you that you have abandoned the love you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the works you did at first. If not, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Yet this you have. You hate the works of Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will grant to eat the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Whoo! There's a lot there. When God took me to this um, a couple weeks ago, I was like, 
God, that's revelations. And he goes, uh-huh. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand this. Mm-mm. And he goes, uh-huh. I said, all right, here we go. Here we go. Here we go. You see, the church of Ephesus had become a very large, proud church. But Jesus' message message to them here is that I alone am the head of this church. I alone hold you in my right hand. In the Greek, the word is kretin. It it is used in the accusative form. So it, it actually means, you see, when we take hold of something, we take hold of a part of it, right? I can only take hold of a part of this water bottle. But the word there used means God took hold of the whole thing. He held all seven churches in his hand. Not just a part of it, but all of it. Showing who he is. Showing his power. But also showing his love. I hold you. I will not let you go. It's kind of like a a father when his 18 or 19 year old son comes to him and says I'm a man now I got this and the dad just looks at him and goes mm-hmm but I still have the checkbook I still am your dad I'm still your dad You see, it was just Jesus saying, hey, I'm in charge. I'm in charge. In verses 2 through 3, Jesus is commending the church. He's commending them. He's saying, you know, you did. You've worked hard. You've persevered. You've stayed the course, but you've even weeded out those who were telling you lies. And and you have to understand where Ephesus was. It was used to just hearing a bunch of apostles who would come in trying to puff themselves up and trying to add to a gospel that shouldn't have been added to. Trying to spread lies, trying to, to help their own agenda. But this church said, no, that's, that's not true. That's not true. That's not what the, the, the word says. That's not what the, God says. And they would weed them out and said, no, you need to leave. They'd weed them out. So he's, he's commending them. He said, hey, good job. Good job. I love you. I love you, church. Good job. But in every hard conversation, there's the but. Right? It's like when your wife comes to you and, man, she is, she is encouraging you and she is loving you and she's like, man, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, yeah. And then there's the but. But. Children love that. But here's where the discipline side of things come in. It's an incredible leadership lesson, right? I mean, Jesus literally is telling them four or five great things they're doing, and then he's like, but I need you to really do this, and, 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 and this is the most important thing you could ever do. You've lost sight of it. 
you've lost sight of your first love. You've lost sight of Jesus. You've lost sight of what makes all of this possible. And he goes on to say, you've got to get back to your first love. So he, he builds them up. He tells them what's, what's wrong. Then he tells them what they need to do about it. He says, you need to repent. You need to turn away from your, your sin. You need to do a complete 180. Not just a little bit. You need to complete Hey, whoa, I was heading this direction, and you need to be heading right back here, right to the center of everything that this is about, to Jesus, to the one who died for you. That's who you need to be. Because, see, what's happened is, is in the midst, and like a lot of things, when you start removing some things, when you start doing a lot, theology and, and, and rules can start to get in the way of who Jesus is. Rules and, 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 and just some stuff. And it's not bad. It just kind of happens if you aren't careful and have Jesus right in the center. Right, right there. Right where you can see Him. Right, right where He controls the left or to the right, forwards or backwards. He's like, put me right here. What you have to do is repent. Sin no more. And then he tells them, this is what will happen if you don't. If you don't, I will remove you from your lampstand. I will remove my hand of favor upon you. And you will be no more. You will be no more. But if you do, If you do these things, if you repent, if you get back to me, here's what will happen. I will, I will uphold you. You will be able to eat from the tree of life. You will be able to be in paradise. You know, he also takes a quick minute there to talk about the Nicolaitans, and, and he used very strong language there. He says, you hate what I also hate. But you see, when you truly love someone, you hate anything that gets in the way of them being their very best. Think about a dad and his daughter. Hmm. If a man doesn't make my daughter the very best she can be, mm -mm. you will not cross my path. He uses very strong language as a warning. Hey, I know you hate, and, and the Nicolaitans were heretics. They were trying to add to the gospel again. How can you add to something that God has created? <laughs> the gospel is this. Jesus came. He, he, he died on a cross for you. He, three days later, he rose again. If you believe in him, if you ask him to remove your sin, you are with him in paradise. Nothing more. That's the gospel. You don't need to add to it. And that's what he's saying. 
add to it. I got you. You're okay. When you, when, here's the thing. He finishes again with, you know what? You'll eat with me. You can eat from the tree of paradise. He's saying, look, the obedience is worth it. The love of me is worth it. Everything you do, if you keep me in the center, if you keep me in the center, if you serve people well, it's worth it. You get to eat the tree in paradise. Think about how many of you love going to the beach. Literally every weekend that it's free. You get to be there every day of eternity. In paradise, far greater than the beach. What's cool is, is in chapters four and five, whoo, he starts explaining heaven. <laughs> and it's just this glorious, beautiful paradise. He's like, it will be worth it if you keep me at the center, at the center of everything you do, church. You see, I love chapters 2 and 3 of Revelations because it's just God showing his crazy love. It's, it's God showing, hey, I care about each one of these churches. I know right where you are. I know right what's going on. But here's the cool thing. He still knows right where this church is, right what's going on in this church. And he still cares about this church. I'm passionate about this. This message, I was talking to someone after the night 30, they were like, man, this, this message, it's broken you. And I'm like, I am, because I want to see the Big C Church be what Jesus designed it to be. A Jesus first church, loving and serving others with everything we have. Because when you put Jesus in the center, here's what happens. When the church keeps Jesus in the center, the church becomes transformational. The church becomes transformational. You see, this church is not the building that we are in. It is all of you. It's all of you at LaGrange. It's all of you online. That's the church. Transformational. It's not perfect. It's a bunch of people who are messed up, gathered in a place, but who know Jesus, who, who, who want to know Jesus, who want to be, 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 be drawn to Jesus. That's the church. It's not about what the church can add or take away. It's about keeping Jesus at the center of everything the church is doing and going to do. A church should... should should assume, this is where assumption is, you should assume that the individuals in the church want to grow, <laughs> want to be discipled, want to go out and serve, and providing opportunities for that, but at the same time saying, man, if they're wanting out, they're going to go do that on their own. They're going to go do it every day of their life. How can we help them? That's the church. Transformational church isn't separate from the community they are in, but they are the community. They unify, they innovate, they invite different perspectives in. They have hard conversations out of love. That's a transformational church. 
A transformational church doesn't care about who you are or what you do or what you make. They know that you're a child of God and they invite you in. A transformational church points people to a unified vision built around Jesus. They offer something to look forward to. A transformational church is the example that everyone should follow. You see, I'm not talking about a building. I'm talking about what you should be as the church. Because when you're a transformational church, you follow Jesus and not a man. You see, you can do this in your job. You can be all of those things in your job, at home, at anywhere you are, at school, at work. I don't care. You can do that. If we want to see transformation of this world, it starts in our community. The transformational church sends people out. I have to confess. Here goes. This church... It's not always done that well. And I apologize. I believe this church is getting back to that. Amen. Loving our community. Sending people out. An example of that is um, my associate, Reed. My my student associate, Reed. Um, He's been with us for about three years. Phenomenal human being. For a long time, he looked like Jesus because he had long hair. He would not cut it for the world no matter how much I asked him. I begged him. I pleaded with him. He's like, no, I'm doing it for charity. No, you're not. But he did. That's just who he is. He loves students. He loves um, discipling them. He loves, he's phenomenal at it. He cares for them. He's there for them. But he came to me in November and said, Cameron, God's stirring in my heart. I'm not sure what, I don't know why, but he's just stirring in my heart. I was like, well, man, let's just pray about it, man. I was like, what's about it? He goes, man, I I think I may be getting a different call somewhere. I don't know. I just, let's pray about it. I was like, all right, great. So we prayed about it, and in January, we invited our campus pastor, Matt, into the conversation. Matt, you need to pray, man. You know, Reed's, Reed's going through some things. He's, he's stirring. God's stirring. We need to pray. We need to figure out what's going on, and, and let's pray him through this. And then uh, about a month or two later, Reed gets a phone call. Uh, back in February, I guess a month later. February, Reed get a, gets a phone call from a school in the area. And if you don't know about Reed, Reed um, is highly fluent in Spanish. It was uh, what he studied in college. He's an amazing, amazing, he can speak, I mean, it's crazy how well he speaks it, and, and he can also teach it. And so the school had found out, and they called about a substitute position, and he took it. And, and I remember that day, and he was like, Cameron, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> I'm like, uh-oh, here we go. And so for the last month or two, he's been substituting at this school on Fridays. 
Amen? See where I'm going with this? And then two weeks ago, the school noticed, wow, this is his passion. He's excellent at it. We want him to come full-time. And so Reed resigned. And starting tomorrow, Reed will be in this classroom full-time in this school, making an impact for Jesus. That is a transformational church. That is what this church is becoming. We need to send more people out. And when we send them out, we need to disciple them and make sure that we care for them and love them and send them with blessing and favor. Here's why. Because the church should be a family. The church should be a family. When you ask Jesus in your life, you are invited into the family. You might be called as an individual into a family, but you're called into a community with God. How awesome is that? You are called within a bunch of crazy, wild people that aren't the same as you. Can you imagine that? What if you say no? Here's the thing. What if my wife would have said no when she met my family? I just squeaked because I got scared. (laughs) I mean, think about it. I mean, she didn't choose her in-laws. Believe me, she probably would have chose some different ones because they're crazy. I mean, my sister's me times 20. I got crazy uncles worse than Uncle Eddie. I've got cousins that, oh my. But what if she would have come to me after meeting them and said, look, I love you. And I think we're like, should get married, but we can't ever see your family again. But how often do we do that with the church? Or we get hurt by the church and we're like, no, we're done. No, I need to choose the people I'm around. Because see, when the church is a family, we don't care what people look like. We don't care what they make. We don't care what they do. We just open arms, say, come into the family. Come into the family. Families aren't perfect. The church is not perfect. But we're called to be Jesus to those around us. Like a family, the church should be there in the good and the bad, in the suffering and in the celebrations. I can't imagine what would happen without my church family when my brother passed away a year and a half ago. You took care of me. You took care of me. You, you were there. You were there because guess what? My, my biological family is 12 hours that way, 24 hours that way, and you wrapped your arms around me. I remember the first night we got back, we had so much food, and then it didn't stop. It just kept coming, and I'm like, whoa, I think I gained 30 pounds. I've lost 16, amen. But I, I'm like, whoa, you took care of me. 
We celebrate when a kid gets a scholarship or meets a goal. We celebrate with each other when there's life change or when God does the miraculous and, and heals someone who has been addicted. That's this church family. You see, we're not created to do life alone. We can't demonstrate love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control on an island alone. We demonstrate it when we're together with family. We demonstrate it when we show those who, who, who have hurt us the most that I love you, I forgive you. Come back into the, come on. It's okay. It's okay. We have to remember Christ died for us while we were still sinners. I mean, think about it. Like Judas, he died for Judas when he knew Judas was going to put his hand in the, in the bowl and then, and then desert him with a kiss. He died for us when we were still sinners. Because he loved us that much. He loved us that much. He showed us love when we didn't deserve it. And we need to show the same kind of love to all people. I love what uh, Scott Saul said in a book, Jesus Outside the Lines. And, and um, one of our staff members in LaGrange, Courtney, she sent me, she sent our whole staff team knowing what we were going to be talking about. She said, hey, this is a phenomenal book. And I was like, cool, I'm gonna, I, get it. I got it that day, and I started reading it. And there's a chapter there about church and individualized religion, you know, individualized Jesus or, or a corporate church. And it's a fantastic book if you're interested in that. But I love what he says. Sometimes it takes having differences, not understanding one another, and even being a little irritated by and bored with another. That the church is a family and not a club. At its best, this family dynamic of the local church functions as God's fertile soil for growing us beyond mere tolerance towards true expressions of love and unity. The church is not a country club. The church is a family that we should take care of those in the family disciple them, send them out, and then invite new family in, sharing Jesus. Because why? Because the church needs you, and you need the church. Do you see why? Because the gospel is in full view. When the church is transformational, the church becomes family. And when the church is transformational and becomes family, the gospel is in full view. It's forgiving one another when we don't deserve it. It's being committed to one another no matter what. And it's serving one another because Jesus served us in the greatest sacrifice ever. He laid down his life when we were still sinners, when we didn't deserve it. That's why the church needs you. 
Mm. We need to be that church displaying the gospel so authentically, so real that people want to be a part of the big church family because it's real. You see, people aren't leaving the church because they don't want anything to do with God. People are leaving the church because they don't see Jesus in the church. And I want to be the church. I want to be the beacon on the hill. I want to be the church that says, come. We have, we, we have, we have Jesus. <laughs> we have Jesus. And then I want to be like, hey, hey, well, is it real? Yeah, look, just come on. Just come check it out. I believe God has called us to be that church.